Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Let me ask you something this morning. When's the last time you've encountered somebody who is lost? When's the last time somebody who's lost came to you and asked you, why do you have hope? Right? Think about that. Peter tells us to always be ready to give an account to those who ask us to be able to defend the faith, to share with them why it is that we have hope. I was uh, living up in the apartments a couple years ago, and um, we, I went over to, I think it was Smith's uh, on Academy up near Tramway, and I had a Hoffmantown shirt on. I had a Hoffmantown logo, and it was after work. And I was running over to the store to grab something. I don't even remember what it was. And I was passing by the deli counter. And I had seen something. I think I was trying to look for something for dinner. And and, I looked in there and I saw a couple things and I wondered about it. And the lady behind the counter looked at me and I could see her eyes go right to the logo. You know how that works, right? And she said, "Um, what does that stand for? And I said, oh, it's, it's Hoffmantown Church. She said, oh, is it the church right down? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, do you go there? And, and she said, what do you do there? And I said, well, we're, I'm a pastor there. And, and so, you know, she, and, and within literally five seconds, she was crying. Now, I hope it wasn't because of me. You know what I'm saying? But in all seriousness, she started to cry, and she said, would you ever be willing to talk to me? My grandfather just passed away, and I am distraught about it. I don't know what to do about it. Well, she was obviously working, so she couldn't have a long conversation right there. But I just simply looked at her, and I said, listen, I would love to talk to you about that. In fact, we had a lady here who helped with that. And I said, but I want you to understand something. God knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he loves you. He loves you. See, when's the last time somebody has asked, when's the last time, for whatever reason it may be, that somebody has asked, what is this hope that you've got? What is it that's about you that's different? What is it that you can help me with or share with me that you've got in your life that perhaps I don't, they don't? And are we willing at that moment in following the Lord and being vessels through which his life uh, is able to be revealed? Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, and then whatever God chooses for us at that moment, we trust him to bring even the words to our minds that need to be said. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've been in circumstances I didn't know what to say, and it was a quick prayer moment. Lord, you use it for whatever, whatever you desire to do in this. Give me wisdom in this. I'm not sure what to do. Do you want me to do anything? When's the last time? Do you realize how many people are around us that don't know Christ or have a wrong view of church and a wrong view of Christianity because of the cults that are out there, perhaps because of bad circumstances that they've endured and gone through at a church because of bad teaching in some way, shape, or form? It's amazing. Folks, I think in this passage we're looking at this morning, it's absolutely essential that the Lord is the one that coordinates our encounters with those who don't know him. Our Christ-coordinated encounters with the lost are opportunities to proclaim the gospel of peace. That's what they are. 
(laughs) The Lord's at work all around us. He knows not only what he wants to do in our lives and through our lives, but he also knows exactly how to place us in the right circumstance at the right time in order to connect with somebody who needs hope, who needs to hear the gospel of peace. Look at Acts chapter 10. We're going to do the second part of the story with Cornelius. If you remember, one of the most interesting uh, circumstances that Peter probably went through was the lowering of this sheet with all the unclean animals in it and the Lord telling Peter uh, to stand up, rise up, take, kill, and eat. And Peter's saying, no way. I've never eaten anything unceremonial, unclean. I'm not going to start now. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? And in the midst of that, the Lord uses that in order to affirm Peter that he is to go with some of the Gentiles who came to the house that he was staying at under the direction of Cornelius the centurion and to go with them in order to share the message of the gospel to them. There's four things in this particular passage that I want to walk through this morning. First of all, there's a sacred encounter A sacred encounter. Secondly, there's a solemn audience. There's a saving message or a salvation message. And then there's a spiritual gift. This is the story of Peter as an apostle who had been given the keys of the kingdom. Who we've seen the Lord use at Pentecost as well as in Samaria. Now being used by the Lord to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Cornelius has had a vision where an angel has come to him, and because of his heart and the Lord's knowledge of his heart, God's knowledge of his heart, the angel tells Cornelius, go send for Simon, who is also called Peter, and listen to what he has to say. Listen to this message. So verse 23, we have a sacred meeting. He says this, so he invited them in and gave them lodging. The the men have come to this house where Simon Peter is staying, Simon the Tanner's house. He invites them in. He gives them lodging. On the next day, he gets up and goes with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompany him. Now, Peter's, uh, he, he, he's smart in this. He realizes that the Lord is leading him to go. In fact, the Holy Spirit has specifically said to him, don't be twisted up in your mind about this. Don't be divided in your thinking about this. I sent these men to you. I want you to go with them. But he takes along some fellow Jewish believers in order to be witnesses of what is about to take place. So they all go together. Verse 24, on the following day he entered Caesarea. They go into Caesarea, and I can only imagine what was on Peter's mind. As he enters into this town and he knows that in effect he is breaking Jewish law by being with Gentiles. And yet he's been told by the Lord to do this, and it makes it very clear from what he says that he understands that God is not a respecter of persons. He's not showing partiality. But in the midst of that, as he enters Caesarea, I can only imagine what is on his mind. And I'm sure that the apostle was having a very vibrant conversation with the Lord. (laughs) Have you ever been called to something that you don't even know exactly what you're about to step into? And as a result, in your spirit, there is a quickening that you need to be in prayer. You need to make sure that everything, Lord, we're right here. I'm hearing from you correctly. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, stop me if you want to stop me. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. But I pray that you would give me wisdom in whatever it is that you have me doing. 
I can't imagine that that wasn't on Peter's mind and in his thoughts. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. Now this is an amazing moment. Peter, as a Jewish man, is walking into a Gentile's home. Cornelius, who had authority, who obviously had some means in terms of wealth, had influence, meets him, falls on his knees, and begins to worship Peter. There's two things I want you to see in this. The first, Cornelius was waiting with a group of people. He had called together his relatives and close friends. I think that's significant, don't you? Cornelius had had a vision from God. An angel had come to him. An angel had affirmed him. Your prayers, your good deeds have ascended as a memorial to God. God knows your heart. Send for Simon. You still need salvation. But God knows your heart. And Cornelius, in anticipation of Peter coming, goes and gets his relatives and his close friends. The man's not even saved. And he's already a witness. Folks, how many times as believers have we been willing to follow the Lord in making sure that with our close friends and our own family that they've heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we take that for granted? Do we just assume, well, they know? Or have we prayerfully considered what it is that God would have us to do in ministering, in serving our closest of friends as well as those family members who perhaps do not know the Lord? I'd be willing, and I'm not a betting man, but I'll use the expression, I'd be willing to bet if we walked around and we started to share and ask you to share about your family members that there would be people in your very family who do not know the Lord? Are we in prayer for them? Are we asking the Lord to lead us and to guide us and direct us with regard to their salvation? The close friends that we have who perhaps don't know the Lord, the ones that we go to work with, the ones that we're in school with, the ones that we are constantly in contact with and we have some what of a relationship with, are they on our hearts so much so? Are we burdened in our hearts that they do not know the Lord and that they need to hear the gospel message? Cornelius, in anticipation of hearing the gospel, was already bringing relatives and friends to hear what God had to say. I love Peter's response to Cornelius beginning to worship him. Because remember, we've got a real divide here between the Jews and the Gentiles. But Peter immediately alleviates this situation by telling Cornelius, get up, I am just a man. In other words, what he's saying to him, I'm like you, Cornelius. He immediately puts it on equal level. 
And I think that's phenomenal. Peter knew who he was in Christ. Peter is an apostle. Peter has authority. And yet he's a servant. He's a servant of the king. And he was willing to come and share the gospel with somebody that undoubtedly, obviously, because of the vision, made him uncomfortable. And yet, what's his response to Cornelius? Get up. I am a man as well. I think that's beautiful. How do we treat our fellow man. Do we act like we know more? Do we act like we're superior? Do we act like because we've been given the gospel message and we have hope and we have Christ in us that somehow we're better than? Peter didn't do that. Peter did not do that. He treated him as an equal with regard to humanity. And I think that's beautiful. Verse 27, it says, as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Evidently, it was kind of like our homes today. You, you walk into maybe uh, the entrance area, and you meet the owner of the home, and then they bring you into another room where people perhaps are waiting. In this case, that's clearly the case. He entered and found many people assembled. This is clear. It's very obvious that Cornelius has been busy at work during the day and a half that it took for his servants to go tell Peter to come to his home. And in anticipation of Peter coming, he went out and gathered them. And he brought him in because he knew that they were going to hear a message that was profound. He had had a divine revelation about this. And in obedience to that, he was listening But he was busy at work making sure that he wasn't the only one that was going to hear this, that there was others that were dear to him that were going to hear this as well. Can I just point out the word found again to you? Remember when Peter went down to Lydda and he found a man, a paralytic man. He'd been paralyzed for eight years and he found this man. This is the same word. He found many people assembled. That word find has a specific connotation to it. It usually means to find something of spiritual significance. Peter was not in this home by accident. God had orchestrated the whole thing. And in response to his obedient following of the Lord, he comes into a situation that he didn't know what he was going to find. But spiritually, when he gets there, he finds something of spiritual significance. There are people that are there to listen to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because they have a hunger for salvation. They recognize their need of forgiveness from their sins. Beautiful picture. He says to them in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent for me. It's beautiful. He wants to hear their hearts. He wants to hear from them. What is it? He's already been told by the servants what Cornelius has told the servants to tell him. He recognizes that there's something unique about this because the Spirit of God has really gone out of his way to make sure that Peter understood you're to go with these men. You're to go and share the gospel with them. That's clear. In the midst of that, he makes it very clear. God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That every man before God is precious. There's none that are profane. There's none that are less than. It doesn't matter what social economic status they may have. 
It doesn't matter whether they're Jew or Gentile. That's this context. It doesn't matter. God's created mankind. And Peter makes it clear I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Later on in Acts chapter 15 and 11, as Peter's recounting how the Gentiles are coming to Christ, he states this. He says, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are speaking of the Gentiles. The Gentiles and the Jews both have the opportunity of coming to Christ the same way it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Or Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where he makes it clear, by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. This is Paul, a Jewish man, a Pharisee, who's been saved, writing to Gentile believers in Ephesus. You've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. It's not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Is there anyone created in the image of God that is not important to the Lord? Is there anybody created in the image of God that is not important to the Lord? Is there anybody that makes you feel uncomfortable And yet the Lord has placed them in your life. The Lord has placed you in their lives in order to share the gospel with them. To give an account of the hope that we have. The assurance of life in Christ. When's the last time you talked to perhaps some family members that don't know the Lord and we're in prayer for them. When's the last time that you said, Lord, I've got some immediate friends. I've got some people that are in my life that don't know you. Lord, how would you use me in their lives? As believers, we always need to be ready to give an account. Peter was willing to do just that. Well, verse 30, Cornelius says, four days ago to this hour, I was praying. He's responding to Peter's question, what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius says, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. He's he's simply recounting what the angel had said to him. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, and he makes this statement, and I think it's rather profound. We are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Let me ask you something this morning. When you came here for worship, to worship, to praise the Lord, perhaps to to meet and greet friends, to be encouraged in Christ. Maybe you're a part of a K group and you've been a part of that. And, and as we come together and we, we praise the Lord together through song, we worship the Lord in the midst of this service and we begin to hear the word of God. How do you view that? Do you, do you consider yourself right now to be before God? That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Peter's the one giving the message. Peter's the one being used by the Holy Spirit to share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But when we are in the word of God together and when we are sharing what the word of God has to say, literally these people understood that they were before God to hear all that Peter had been commanded by the Lord to give them. The idea of before God literally means in the face of God, in the very presence of God. Man, that's humbling. I don't know about you, but doesn't, isn't that humbling? This is God's word. How are we viewing that? How are we listening to God's word? Are we embracing it as God's word? What is our heart attitude towards the Lord? Here's a group of people that were on the outside, so to speak. They were not Jewish. They could not participate in the sacrifices. Uh, Cornelius was praying at the third hour because that's when the sacrifices took place. And he wasn't allowed to be a part of it. But he recognizes that what Peter had to say to them was from God. Wow. That's why the Spirit says, he who has a spirit, let him hear what the Spirit of God has to say. This is the word of God. How are we receiving that? When we're in our K groups and we're studying Hebrews, we're listening to the word of God. Students, when you're in your K groups and you're, you're hearing from your teachers and we're dealing with the word of God, you're in the presence of God. It's amazing. Are our hearts yielded to him in such a way that we're willing to receive from him what he wants to say to us? Are we in prayer about that? Are our hearts yielded to him in that? You know, in the last days, it's very clear that people are going to gather to themselves teachers that will tickle their what? Their ears. Teachers that will tell them what they want to hear, that will affirm their flesh, pat them on the back, tell them how good they are. (laughs) The word of God doesn't do that, folks. So what we're really talking about is teachers who don't really teach the word of God. Folks, my prayer is that Hoffmantown Church would always, at the very core of everything we stand for, would have the teaching of the word of God as central because it's God's word. And we are in desperate need of it. What's our heart attitude towards the Lord? These people recognized what they were about to hear was from the Lord, was from God. They were literally in the presence before God. Well, Peter opens his mouth, and normally that's a problem. (laughs) Isn't it funny? Peter's amazing. I can't wait to meet him and say, hey, Peter, you know, what happened? (laughs) Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter begins to share his salvation message. He says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Now, he's not preaching works here. He's not saying if you just do good enough, then you're welcome to come before God. That's silly. The whole context of this is uh, grace and it's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. No question about that. What he's saying and what he's affirming is God knows your heart, Cornelius. But it's very clear that Cornelius needed salvation. That all the things that Cornelius was doing still would not allow him to enter heaven because he had not been saved. He had not been cleansed by the blood of Christ. 
But God knew that the reasons why Cornelius was doing what he was doing is because he had a desire. There was something in him. He recognized that he was separated from God. He was lost. And he was responding to the truth that he knew. Clearly, the Spirit of God was working in the heart of Cornelius and those that were present. But they needed salvation. And what Peter's saying is, in every nation, there is no partiality with God. God knows the heart of every individual. And God's not going to reject them on the basis of their race. They are welcome. They are welcome. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, and he puts this thought in there, he is Lord of all, he is Lord, he is authoritative, and as a result, he's able to be the Savior. Peace through Jesus Christ. You yourselves know the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed, and he goes on. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. This isn't foreign to you. You've heard about Jesus. You know the things that he's done. You know what he was about. But I want to highlight the idea of preaching peace through Jesus Christ. See, I believe the Holy Spirit gave Peter wisdom that Cornelius did not have peace. And we know that unbelievers don't have the peace of God because they're not right with God. There's still something wrong. They can have sincerity and they can have all the efforts Cornelius clearly did. He was a devout man. He was a God-fearer. He prayed. He fasted. He did everything that he knew to do in responding to the truth that he knew. But he still did not have peace with God. The only way for that to occur for anybody is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being forgiven by Christ himself. So Peter acknowledges that and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit brings this out. There is an opportunity to have peace, Cornelius. It's through Jesus Christ. You yourselves know, you understand the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. And then he begins to give a bunch of information. I'm going to break it down into three things. First of all, his power over Satan as well as the physical world. What do you know? You've heard about Jesus. You know the things that he did. What is it that he knows? He knows that he is all powerful over Satan as well as the physical world. He goes on. He says how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He was no ordinary man. He didn't do the things that he did because somehow he was able, like Simon the Sorcerer, to concoct or use magic to do this. This is the Holy Spirit with power, with ability from God and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. You know these things. You know how God was with him. You know the miracles that he did. You know how he cast out demons who were enslaving people. You know these things. You know that he has power over Satan as well as the physical world. But he goes on. You know that he has power over death. He says they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. 
Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Cornelius and all those who were there, they understood something. They knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had power over Satan and the physical world because of all the the healing that he did, because of all the different good that he did for people. They knew that he was no ordinary man. They also had heard about the resurrection and how Jesus had been put to death by hanging on a cross as a centurion. I guarantee Cornelius knew this. And in the midst of it, Peter acknowledges God raised him up on the third day. And Peter says, we're witnesses of these things. We've seen the resurrected Lord. We ate and we drank with him. And he appeared to us, not to everybody, but to those who were close to him. After he arose from the dead. Peter gives testimony here as a true witness, as one who had been there, who had a firsthand account of what God had done, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 42, Peter shares that he has power to forgive, that this gospel, this good news, is a message of hope. He says, he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You know of this Jesus. You know that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and did these good things. And he cast out the demons and he healed the sick. You know that he went to the cross and died on the cross. And I want to share what Peter's sharing here is a firsthand account of the the fact that Christ rose again from the dead. And Peter says this gospel, this message, this good news is that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Wow. Cornelius and all those who were sitting there and recognized that they were about to hear a message from God himself and they recognized and considered themselves to be in the very face, the very presence of God are listening to what the apostle Peter has to say. They know that Peter is making a sacrifice even coming to them because they know That it's against the law for a Jew to have fellowship with those who are uncircumcised Gentiles. Peter declares to them in a very succinct way the profound truth of the gospel message. Jesus Christ was no ordinary man. That Jesus Christ went to the cross and God rose him again from the dead. And that you can have salvation as well. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to forgive you from your sins. Well, what happens? Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. All the Jews that had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. What an amazing thing. Here we have, in effect, Pentecost for the Gentiles. We saw it uh, with the Jews at Pentecost. We saw it in Samaria with the Samaritans who believed 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter and John came and laid hands upon them. And the Spirit of God fell upon them. And they began to speak in tongues, which was simply a sign gift, acknowledging that the Spirit of God had come upon them. And now, in the same exact way, Cornelius and those who had obviously believed from their hearts in the message that Peter was proclaiming to them, had received forgiveness of their sins, and the Holy Spirit is poured upon them, and as a sign not only to them, but also to the Jewish believers who had come. They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to glorify God, and they're amazed. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. What a beautiful picture. He orders them to be baptized. I think it's important to understand that this becomes now the pattern for salvation from then on. The hearing, the believing, the receiving. And as a result, baptism, water baptism, becomes an external expression of an inward reality. God had saved them, and now baptism was simply an expression to all of the people that were there, as well as to their friends and family, that they had put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Zane Hodges says on this. He says, very simply, all receive the Spirit at once when they believe. Our problem is not receiving him, but submitting to him. (laughs) That's, That's true, isn't it? When we become believers and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we immediately receive all of the Spirit of God. God comes to make his residence within us. He makes our hearts his home. The question is not whether we've received the Spirit. The question is whether on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, we are submitting to him. I think it's also important to understand something here, that baptism is not optional. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have not been baptized, I want to encourage you in this. Peter immediately tells them, be baptized. Be baptized. Because It's an act of obedience to the Lord. It's a first step that the new believer ought to immediately take in following the commandments of Christ. That's why we do baptism. That's why we do water baptism. And the word baptism means to immerse. I love some of my Presbyterian and other brothers and sisters in Christ, but I don't think you can be immersed in a cup of water. It means to be immersed, to be identified with. Peter immediately tells them, be baptized. Folks, I don't know how this story has hit you, but it's hit me. I took the staff out. We do Bible studies together on Thursday mornings, and it was so beautiful when I drove in here. I said, hey, let's go meet at the amphitheater. So we all went out there, just looked out over the city, kind of talked through this story a little bit. Do we understand that we're a part of this? This is the bringing of the gospel to the Gentile nations of which we are the beneficiaries of. And the question is, the story goes on through us. Are we willing to follow the Lord? Are we willing to walk with him? Are we willing to be used of Christ? Are we willing to to invite, to share Christ with our immediate family members and to our close friends? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be vessels through which the life of Christ is poured out? Are we ready to give an account 
for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.